Good morning. Today we're going to be talking about um, the president of a Canadian LGBT organization charged on uh, sex crimes, sex child sex abuse charges, uh, boosters not working on people who've already had COVID, and the U.S. military testing uh, bacteria uh, and viruses or whatever it was, we'll find out, on unsuspecting citizens. Oh, also uh, WEF, World Economic Forum, um, what's he called? Uh, Yuval Harari is a, uh, a World Economic Forum um, advisor. And he says, we just don't need the vast majority of humans. So we'll be talking about that too. So to start off, let's take a look at this article here from, uh, what the hell is that number? From, uh, what's going on there? From Great, Great Game India, Journal on Geopolitics and International Relations. President of Canadian LGBT organization arrested the president of a Canadian LGBT organization arrested on child sex abuse charges. Not suspected. He's not guilty yet, technically. He hasn't been found guilty, but he's been charged. LGBT activist. So he's not just a president. Of course, he's an activist. Sean Gravels, president of the Canadian LGBT organization North Peace Pride Society has been arrested on child sex abuse charges. Sean Gravels, president of the Canadian LGBT, lesbian, gay, bi, trans organization, North Peace Pride Society, has been arrested on child sex abuse charges. It appears yet another activist who supports LGBT interaction with children has been observed engaging in much more than just community service. Prominent LGBT activist Sean Gravels, head of the North Peace Pride Society, a Canadian lesbian, gay, bi and trans pride organization, was arrested on several charges, including possessing and distributing child pornography and sexually exploiting a minor for sex. Sexually exploiting a minor for sex. All the uh, alleged incidents happened in or around Forts, uh, Fort St. John, B.C., which is the northeast of Vancouver. The charges for child pornography happened on New Year's Eve 2023, while the charges for interference and exploitation were filed on December 29th, 2023. I don't know why these dates are critical, but uh, as soon as the uh, North Peace Pride Society learned of Gravel's arrest, they promptly removed him from office as president. The group claimed in a Facebook page post that although they sponsored events for young people, Gravels never had any direct contact with children. Well, apparently he did have contact directly with children. Otherwise, he wouldn't be arrested. Fucking idiots. Uh, 
So uh, at least they're trying to distance themselves from this Sean Gravel's president, or now former president, I'm assuming, of their uh, society, the North Peace Pride Society. Uh, teen Gravel saw, oversaw teen pride nights, apparently not interacting with kids, that the NPPS, the North Peace Pride Society, hosted for the Fort, Fort St. John Library. So these people hang out at libraries, public libraries. The uh, photograph below shows Gravel's on the left, along with NPPS representatives pre uh, presenting a sponsorship check to the library for the purpose of funding youth events. Well, the kind of youth events we want are not the kind of youth events that these people, or at least the president, partook in. So apparently he's uh, a piece of shit somewhere on the left side of this uh, picture. Is that him there? Is that him? Maybe that's him. Is that him? I don't know. Is that him? It says on the left side. I don't know. So I'm assuming that's not him or that's not him. What's he look like? That's what he looks like. So, yeah, probably that guy. Maybe it's definitely not that poor baby. Prominent LGBT, lesbian, gay, bi, trans campaigners are increasingly being arrested for mistreating children. A well-known transgender activist named Kendall Stephen was detained in Philly just one week prior to Sean Gravel's arrest and accused of raping two young boys. In the past year, a number of leftist activists holding prominent positions in the media have been detained or found guilty on charges of child sex abuse and pornography. These individuals include Slade Summer, S-O-H-M-E-R, the Children's uh, Summer Camp, Camp Power co-manager and two senior producers from CNN, CNN and ABC, the fake news, are also uh, convicted. What were they saying here? Uh, detained and found guilty on child sex abuse charges, CNN and ABC. Southern Cal doctor Anthony Hodin was charged with stealing $150 million from the federal COVID program called the COVID Uninsured Program. What? What's that got to do with anything? Uh, then there was the Georgian LGBT activist pair that Georgian, I'm, I'm assuming Georgia, the state of Georgia or Georgia, the country, Georgia, probably Georgia, the state. There was the Georgian LGBT activist pair that was detained at the start of 2023 a year ago. The parents allegedly mistreated their two adopted boys. Oh, I remember that story. Before selling them to a pedophile network. They sold them to a pedophile network. Now, how are these guys allowed to adopt? Is that the best interest for those kids? Those kids would have been better off uh, in foster homes than with these creeps. How about activist and teacher Kelsey Boren of Oregon? Figures. Oregon. Is it Oregon? Oregon. Oregon? I think it's Oregon. Oregon. Oregon sounds weird. Oregon also sounds... It's a weird fucking state. 
anyways, uh, well, at least, um, whatever that city is there, Portland. Uh, so the, uh, teacher, 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 Kelsey Boren of Oregon, who mentored an 11 year old drag queen, 11 year old drag queen before being found guilty of child pornography. In 2023, Bourne was found guilty of 11 felony charges of inciting child sex abuse and received a sentence of less than a year in jail because Oregon crazy Democrats appear to be pro-child pornography, child molestation of children. For many years, the LGBT community had excellent people uh, who made a concerted effort to distance themselves from the stereotype. Why would there be a stereotype uh, that they prey on children? Now, why would there be that stereotype? However, radical LGBT radicals, so they're saying <laughs> radical LGBT radicals, are destroying any goodwill the community may have accrued over the years, demonstrating these presumptions to be true. Well, the presumptions, I'm not presuming every lesbian or gay or bi or tranny is um, uh, making child porn. <laughs> but there definitely is some in the mix of the group. And it'd be interesting to see what percentage. Uh, but uh, then you might be uh, ooh, uh, hate crime if you investigate and ask questions, right? So their insistence on introducing sexualized concepts and imagery into schools, which is fucking creepy. Who the fuck would want to insist on doing that? Just fucking creepy. You're fucking creeps. Anybody who wants to insist on introducing sexualized concepts into uh, young grade schools is a fucking creep. And imposing trans and gender fluid ideologies. So you can't think what you want to think. You can't think what you naturally would think. You got to think what the fuck they tell you to think. Because if you don't, woo, what? Fuck yourselves. Uh, so these have been, these have given rise to legitimate public suspicion. No shit. That the ultimate, the ultimate aim of the LGBT movement is not acceptance of diverse viewpoints, but rather the overt predatory grooming of the next generation. Great Game India is being actively targeted by powerful forces who wish them not to survive. Your contribution, however small, will keep them afloat. We, they keep voluntary payment for the uh, content available for free on the website via UPI, PayPal, and Bitcoin. So that article was written by... Don't say, just a staff reporter, I guess. Um, yeah, with the Great Game India Journal on Geopolitics and International Relations. So there you go. There you have that. And uh, so what would be our, uh, our conclusion based on that? That uh, there are creeps and pedophiles who, who work their way into certain positions and we need to be exceptionally... Uh, weary of people who work their way into certain positions that insist on uh, sexualizing children or uh, talking to other people's kids about uh, sexualized content. 
Like, uh, not to say uh, male teachers are all pedophiles. I'm sure they're not. I had some male teachers in public school who were great guys. They, uh, I don't think they were anything other than what they appeared to be. But I would be um, an idiot to not look closer at male teachers who uh, want to uh, teach young kids. I mean... It just doesn't seem natural. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with male teachers or, you know, women teachers could be creeps too, right? Uh, but there's doesn't mean that we should not be investigating and looking closely at people, right? We should be in, investigating and, and seeing and making sure that they're not uh, a danger to the most vulnerable portion of our society. So next uh, story is um, by this guy, um, Vinay. Prasad, MD. I'm assuming that means medical doctor. He claims that boosters do not work if you have had COVID. So what's he say? Let's, uh... Welcome back to the channel. Boosters don't work in people who've already had COVID-19. This is a new paper out from John Yonides and colleagues. It comes out in the European Journal of Clinical Investigation and not the Journal of Obvious Things because it would be obvious that boosters don't work in people who had COVID-19. This is a new observational study. Let me walk you through this. I've written about it. He's got a pretty good point. If you've already had COVID-19, you have a natural immunity to that strain. And if they're giving you boosters for older strains, what the fuck is the point? It doesn't make any sense, especially if they're not modernizing and updating their boosters. What the fuck is the point? Just giving you the same shot over and over again is not going to make you any more immune to the new strains. Now, if they come up with new boosters, uh, that's another thing. But then these new boosters haven't been tested. And I will not stick something in my arm that hasn't been tested for uh, 10 years of safety trials. So we know the adverse long-term effects, especially in new technology like mRNA technology. So then you might say, well, what's the point of uh, uh, cold vaccines or flu vaccines? Exactly. Don't take them. I'm not going to take them. Do what you want to do. If you want to inject yourself and thin out the population, by all means. And on my Substack, Vinay Prasad's observations and thoughts, it's a very interesting study. First, what do you need to know? Well, because the US FDA was derelict on their duties, they did not compel the manufacturers of these vaccine products to run a randomized control trial each year to know in whom the booster works. We also did not make the companies run randomized trials in people who have already had and recovered from COVID-19 to prove that by vaccinating those people, they get an additional reduction in severe disease or hospitalization. We didn't make the companies do that. And that is a failure of the US FDA primarily, also a failure of the European Medicines Agency. Instead of that, we use observational studies to make inferences about how well these vaccine products work. The problem is observational studies are biased. The people who choose and rush out to get the latest booster are different than those who don't rush out to get the latest booster. So there's more difference than just getting the booster. There's the confounding by the type of person who goes out and gets the booster. And that's often called the healthy vaccinee bias. That a person who's health crazed, who's very precautious, they're going to rush out and get it before somebody who's not. In the booster scenario here. I call bullshit because there's a lot of people that are health crazed that are specifically not getting these boosters and these vaccines. It has nothing to do with you being a health-conscious person. In fact, the more health-conscious you are, the more research you would do into something. And those who are more health-conscious would avoid something that has not been proven safe. You don't just say, hey, here's here's a new bottle of some uh, some stuff. This, this is a wonder cure, a uh, snake oil that'll make you healthy. Healthy-conscious people don't take snake oil. They investigate things. Idiots just say, oh, that's good stuff. I'll take that. So he's conflating um, health, the more health-conscious people with idiots. So what he should be saying is 
sheeple, mindless idiots who just jump and do what they're told and take snake oil are the ones who are lining up. So that's the bias we're seeing. It's gotten to a new extreme where I think only the most deranged person is rushing out to get the newest booster, like a 20-year-old or 30-year-old, for instance. And so it's going to be a huge bias in terms of their other behavioral differences. Some analyses have actually shown the healthy vaccine effect is profound. There was a paper by the Israeli group. They published in the New England Journal that boosters work. In a letter to the editor, they showed that it had a 95% reduction in all-cause death. Tracy Beth Hogg, Ram Dorosetti, and myself, we saw that. We said that's so implausible. We wrote a subsequent research letter in the New England Journal arguing that this is clear evidence of a healthy vaccine bias that's been published in the journal. I've talked about it on my channel. If the booster is lowering car accidents or preventing you from dying from heart disease or cancer, that's not the booster doing that. That's the fact that the booster is not given to the same types of people who didn't get the booster. The booster is given to different people than who got the boot, than who didn't get the booster. Again, he's conflating certain things. I could see, I get, I get where he's going now. So there's risk averse. There's people who are willing to take a chance. And then there's people who aren't willing to take a chance. But even that is, there's more complex. There's people who are willing to take a chance uh, recklessly by taking a unproven jab. And then there's people who are willing to, to take a chance by not taking that. They, they, so which is, which is the more reckless, right? So there's different types of recklessness. There's reckless uh, sheep, reckless, um, uh, what's the word, uh, credulous. There's people who are recklessly credulous, and there's people who are uh, reckless. Um, well, I don't think you are reckless if you are questioning and you want proof of something. That that in no way that is actually ultra cautious. So again, there's there's you got to be very careful how you conflate and how you frame things. It's saying people are are the it's the healthy population that's taking the vaccines. Now that he's just saying that to try to align that's that's a hypothesis. Now, he's trying to prove his point, and he's trying to use this against the vaccine, uh, saying the vaccine is not as effective because people who are more health conscious are the ones taking it. Well, no, I would argue the difference. Uh, I would, and I think it's, and who knows, it might actually null out. It might, uh, it might sum out in the, uh, in the end that there's reckless people who are credulous and believe all experts and take whatever snake oil they're told to, and there's the other people who are more cautious mixed in with the people that are more reckless. Now there's the, the old school, uh, anti-vaxxers, the stereotype of them would be like, I don't trust anything from any government. So I'm not taking them. Now those people though used to sound crazy today, they sound a lot more rational than anybody else. Right. So, so you get, there's different personalities that, that are doing the same thing for different reasons. Now there's people that are super cautious saying it hasn't been proven safe. Therefore I will not take it. And there's people that are saying, I just don't trust. Well, I guess it's a similar, it's a similar thing. And then, uh, so is that reckless? Is it reckless to not, to not be credulous, right? No, it is not reckless to not blindly believe people. That's called being critical. This is what we should all be doing. So let's see what, what he has to say here. More on that. That's confounding. Okay. So this new observational study comes from Austria. And the beautiful thing about this study is that they just focus on people who already had and recovered from COVID-19. And the beautiful thing about this study is that the, so this new observational study comes from Austria. And Austria? the beautiful thing about this study is that they just focus on people Austria? who already had and recovered from COVID-19, which is Austria? most people at this point. Australia. And what they find Austria. very clearly is that boosters do not is reduce the risk of COVID-19 death in people who've already had COVID-19. And that really, okay. I was talking over him. So. This new observational study comes from Austria, and the beautiful thing about this study is that they just focus on people who've already had and recovered from COVID-19, which is most people at this point. And what they find very clearly is that boosters do not reduce the risk of COVID-19 death 
in people who've already had COVID-19. And that really means that the annual booster campaign is defunct. It has no value and it shouldn't be perpetuated without better data. It is a giveaway to Pfizer, but it's not actually making people better off. All right, so number one, these authors also find that their paper has a healthy vaccine bias, but it's something on the order of about 21% and not the 95% in Israel. So there's an all-cause mortality benefit from getting boosting. That's implausible. They think that's a bias, but it's more modest than in Israel where the bias was tremendous. So you can't trust the data coming out of Israel. These really authors, the fact they didn't publish the overall mortality in the original paper, and we only found that out in the, in the letter to the editor, that speaks very poorly, I think, of the authors and the journal that they didn't compel that information in the original 100%. publication. The authors... This Austria paper, they look to see whether or not getting a booster prevents you from testing positive for COVID-19. And here they find, very similar to other papers, that there is a short, transient, and small effect. They write, quote, we observe a small vaccine effectiveness of a fourth vaccine dose um, with, for getting symptomatic, sorry, for getting testing positive for COVID-19 with evidence for rapidly waning immunity and the reversal of this effect in 2023. In other words, it don't last, okay? It's very transient at best. Now, some people say there's a value of boosting people for this transient reduction in testing positive. But what Those about the adverse long-term effects? There's no way that's possible. Boosting a tiny fraction of people for a tiny difference in two-month rates of getting COVID-19 that's going to wash away in the future, that's not going to make a lick of difference in the universe of transmission, okay? I've talked. And add to that, what about the, if you're giving them this tiny minuscule uh, benefit and the risk is a rapid onset cancers or heart disease or heart attacks, myocarditis, pericarditis, strokes, blood clots, Menzies issues, uh, st sterility for women. Uh, are those risks? I mean, do we not do risk cost benefit analysis? Do we not do risk reward analysis anymore? We say, oh yeah, they, they have a, they have a, you know, minor percentage uh, benefit of not getting COVID for two months. It's not going to protect them. They're still, they, if they, they could still die from it yet. You know, we're going to give them all unknown adverse long-term effects. We don't know. It could be 100% toxic. What's the word I'm looking for? I can't remember. It could kill, this vaccine could kill 100% of the people it gives over a lifespan of 10 years, five years, eight years. Who knows? What if it does? Every fucking person who got it. We don't know. There's no data on it. Oh, yeah, but you're reckless if you don't get it, Right talked about that on this channel many times, including my last video on boosters. It's so implausible. It would be having the arrogance to say the forest fire is raging towards your house. I'm going to pour a glass of water on the lawn and hopefully this will prevent it from burning my house. It's not going to make a lick of difference. Next, the authors acknowledge that just testing positive for COVID-19 doesn't even mean you're sick. They write, quote, positive laboratory test for SARS-CoV-2 with... Not to say that COVID-19 isn't uh, dangerous anymore. I mean, people, you say, oh, people die from it. People die from the flu. It used to be like 50,000 people a year died from the flu. How many people now die a year from COVID-19? I mean, there was COVIDs that people died from before, right? They, uh, that was the flus. There was just, uh, that was a corona. There's a lot of different coronaviruses that have been going around. This is not a new, this is a new version of it, but coronaviruses themselves aren't new. Coronaviruses have been around forever. And people have died from viruses every year. 50,000 people on average die from viruses. So how many people, how many more people? So this is what we talk about the all-cause mortality. The all-cause mortality didn't really even go up after COVID. It's only gone up since the vaccines. And you could see the, the, the matching spikes in the data that was uh, leaked out of New Zealand. So there is definitely some correlation uh, between the jab and all-cause mortality. And even then, it's only, uh, what is it, like 1% or something like that? So is it worth the the risks and the the... What is it? You get 1% chance of, uh, of being hospitalized with this vaccine and a 0.1% chance of dying from it.
which doesn't seem like lots, but that is crazy. Unclear and probably no adverse consequences for most individuals, even hospitalized patients in an endemic phase, that these can be nothing burgers, that this is a nothing burger finding. And so instead they come to the more important finding, did the people who get boosted, were they less likely to die of COVID-19? They write, quote, we did not observe a significant vaccine effect, vaccine effect of a fourth vaccine dose for COVID-19 deaths during a time with already very low absolute risk for this outcome and, quote, no individual younger than 40 died due to COVID-19. In other words, COVID-19, it's not killing anybody under the age of 40. There's absolutely no reduction in COVID-19 death from getting the booster in people who've already had COVID-19. That really undermines the claim that boosters somehow protect you against severe disease from getting COVID-19 once you had it. The authors point out that their study is in line with Qatar, which shows durable natural immunity. By that, I mean that once you have COVID and recover from COVID, you're less likely to get severely ill and not what Seth MacFarlane thinks that anytime you get COVID again, that's a failure of natural immunity. It's not. You're going to get COVID many, many times no matter what you do. This study shows that. Life shows that. The question is, are you going to get really, really sick? This study shows once you've got it and you cleared it, you're never going to get really, really sick from it again. And nobody under the age of 40 died in this data set. Here's how the authors conclude. The lack of effectiveness of the fourth vaccination during 2019, 2023 of our study is consistent with the notion of rapidly waning immunity of this second bivalent booster. Our findings do not apply to people who have not been infected, a population that is, quote, vanishingly small by late 2023. And that's absolutely right. That's vanishingly small. So there were a few more gems. One, they find that the case fatality rate among the people who tested positive for COVID-19, how many died, was 0.08%. Another thing is the uh, black magic of what we were taught in high school biology is that viruses get... Uh, or more powerful when they come out and they get weaker and weaker and weaker. The rule of thumb, generally, they're, they're more powerful when they first appear and then they get weaker and weaker and weaker as they mutate and they get more and more contagious as they mutate. This is just a, a general thing with uh, like viruses. Not all viruses, but this is maybe my biology teacher was insane. The guy liked to smoke weed. I was told, I don't know, I never saw him smoke weed, but uh, that, that, uh, that's the rule of thumb, right? So, of course, COVID will be more contagious. We're expecting that. Everybody would expect a new virus to get more contagious, to be super contagious, but less dangerous. It makes people less sick. Now, what's going on is a lot of the people that are vaccinated are getting more sick uh, more often than the people who aren't vaccinated. All the people that I know that aren't vaccinated aren't getting sick. The people that are vaccinated are getting sick every month. What's up with that? Is that a causation? That's just an anecdote, right? All those people... You would know if you're one of the people, if you're getting sick more often. Now, of course, it's not going to be everybody, right? There are probably people who are going to die who aren't vaccinated from flus and colds. This is just a thing that's always happened. There's people that are, are vaccinated that uh, won't die. But there will be people, now it's all about the numbers. It's that the casino. What are the averages? What's the odds? These are things we should be talking about. And that's what he's starting to get into now. It's point, what do you say, 0.08%? Okay, eight one-hundredths of 1%. Remember when WHO put out the initial estimate, it was 3.4%, and that's when everyone panicked back in 2020. Now it's eight one-hundredths of 1%. That's the case fatality rate. The infection COVID. fatality rate is even lower because of the vaccine you're missing. Of the virus. What's the overall picture here? The overall picture here is that this observational study, if anything, it was biased towards finding an effect for boosters when none existed. And despite that bias, it found no effect of boosters. The boosters do not improve COVID-19 death rates. There's a transient effect on testing positive, which is a useless endpoint. That doesn't even mean you're sick. This severely undermines the U.S. policy. It severely undermines the FDA's regulatory negligence of approving the booster year after year in people who've had COVID-19 without... Never mind the FDA fighting in court to have the data buried for 75 years. 75 years. Oh, yeah, we're open and transparent. That's why we're going to hide the data from you, 
the stupid public for 75 years. Oh, because that data shows how safe and effective it is. That's why we want to hide it. And, and we're fighting in courts to hide it for 75 years because it's so safe and effective. Right. Any evidence that they're better off as a result. This is an extremely provocative paper. And I think it's worth your time. So it's entitled Effectiveness of a Fourth SARS-CoV-2 Vaccine Dose in Previously Infected Individuals from Austria. And I encourage you to read it. All right. Those are my thoughts. If you like this. All right. So that's it for uh, whatever his name was. Uh, Vinay Prasad. MD. MPH. What's that? Miles per hour. He's a fast doctor. I don't know what the hell he means by that. But All right. Next, uh, there was uh, somebody sent me an article uh, by Kevin Lona from it's an old one from 2016. And this one is from uh, Business Insider. And it talks about the uh, the military conducting dangerous biowarfare experiments on unsuspecting innocent Americans. Uh, it's a picture of San Francisco. So we're to assume that San Francisco was uh, one of the targets. And indeed it was. On September 1950, a U.S. naval ship just off the coast of San Francisco. I don't think this is a picture of that. Um, used a giant hose to spray a cloud of microbes into the air into the city's famous fog. The military was testing how a biological weapon attack would affect the 800,000 residents of the city. The people of San Francisco had no idea. So this sounds egregious, but it may not be if they're using a, uh, a safe microbe. Microbes don't mean they'll, you know, every microbe is not going to kill people, but it might kill the vulnerable. Um, the Navy continued to, uh, continue the tests for a week, potentially causing one death. It was one of the first large scale biological weapon trials that would be conducted under a germ warfare testing program that went on for 20 years from 1949 to 1969. So they had one death in a week. Now that's, that's, that sounds like a lot. Uh, it may have been caused by it, even if it was one, even if it was caused by that, that's pretty bad. But, um, did this person who die have precondition, precon, uh, preconditions, existing preconditions? Were they on their way out already? Would they have died two weeks later if it wasn't for this? You know, these are uh, things that we should be taking into consideration. Causing the death, that's... Right. Anyway, so the goal of this was to deter the use of biological weapons uh, against the United States and its allies and to retaliate if deterrence failed. What deterrence? The government explained later. Fundamental to the development of a deterrent strategy was the need for a thorough, a thorough study and analysis of our vulnerability to overt and covert attack. Of the 239 known tests... So they tested 200, at least 239 known tests in that specific program. San Francisco was notable for two reasons, according to Dr. Leonard Cole, Lenny Cole, who documented the episode in his book, Clouds of Secrecy, the Army's Germ Warfare Tests Overpopulated Areas. Now, I don't know, maybe he paid Business Insider to do this article and talk about his book. I don't know. Didn't pay me. Cole, now the director of the Terror Medicine and, and Security Program at Rutgers, New Jersey Medical School. Terror Medicine. You might think, what the hell is terror medicine? I think it just means 
uh, people who've been exposed to, uh, you know, a terror attack, if there's been like a sarin gas release or uh, what was that uh, cow one, the anthrax that they released from the CIA lab from Fort uh, Detrick uh, after the two senators who were holding back the, uh, the uh, free power to the um, Department of Homeland Security after 9-11. Those guys were the guys apparently that were the attack. Anyways, so that, that was domestic terror by government <laughs> agents against the uh, senators, right? This is ridiculous. Anyways, um, uh, so what are they talking about here? So this guy, terror medicine, that's what I was talking about. So yeah, so terror medicine, I think at Rutgers, is just the study of how to treat people who've been exposed to uh, terror attacks. I'm assuming biological terror attacks. I mean, if somebody's been exposed to a bomb, you do, what special training do you need? Well, I guess maybe if you've been different kinds of bombs, right? If the person's been burned and broken bones, well, I guess any explosion would be the same thing. But how often are people exposed to explosions? I'm assuming that's what this guy's doing, right? Rutgers. Rutgers, New Jersey, medical school. Anyway, so he tells Business Insider that this incident was uh, was notable first because it was really early in the program but also because of the extraordinary coincidence that took place at Stanford Hospital, beginning days after the Army's tests had taken place. Hospital staff were shocked at the appearance of a patient infected with a bacteria, Seratia marcensis. No, uh, marcensins? Seratia marcensins. I don't know how to pronounce that. That had never been found in the hospital and was rare in the area. That they <coughs> so that somebody was infected with this rare Seratia marcensis, uh, and that that they published an article about it in a medical journal. The patient Edward Nevin died after the infection spread to his heart. So we're assuming that it was the infection that caused this guy's death, not that he had a. a compromised immune system for some other reason. I don't know. So this is, this is, we don't know. I don't know much about this guy. So it does prima facie sound like this guy was, uh, killed by this, uh, bacteria. S. Marcensins was one of two types of bacteria. The Navy had uh, sprayed over the Bay area. It wasn't until the 1970s that Americans, as Cole wrote in his book, learned that for decades they had been serving as experimental animals for agencies of their government. So being an experimental animal, you know, sociological experiments and stuff may not be a bad thing if there's zero chance, you know, if you're just observing people and how they behave and you're, there's no potential harm that could come to somebody and you're not going to be any kind of a detriment to them. I don't see anything morally wrong with that. But spraying bacteria... <laughs> into the city. I mean, just uh, on the face of it, that seems like it might not be such a good idea, right? But uh, maybe it was a totally benign bacteria. I'm not a bacteriologist, so I don't know how benign this bacteria was or how benign the potential of this. I mean, all bacteria may have the potential to be deadly, depending on the circumstances, right? Other experiments involved testing mind-altering drugs, now, this is a little, this is definitely a step beyond, right, on unsuspecting citizens. In one shocking, well-known incident, government researchers studied the effect of syphilis on black Americans. 
without informing the men that they had the disease. They were told they had bad blood. So what do they mean by bad blood? Did they mean that they were given bad blood? Did these guys have uh, transfusions and they were told they were given bad blood or that this had bad blood? Like some witch doctor business, right? Researchers withheld treatment after they researchers withheld treatment. Well, I, I mean, how much treatment were we getting for COVID? Like personally, I got COVID and I had zero treatment. They didn't even tell me to take vitamin D. They didn't tell me to drink or uh, take uh, zinc. They didn't tell me anything. I had zero treatment, zero treatment from the, uh, the uh, health, public health, right? So was that treatment withheld when they knew that ivermectin and groups, uh, other uh, treatments like that are, are good prophylactics for uh, coronaviruses as they had studied in, what, 2017? So this is not perhaps something new, what they did during COVID and what they've done to these people back in the past as they withheld treatment after they were given syphilis, something that can kill you. So these, they were given a disease that can kill them, and then they withheld treatment uh, after it became available so that they continue studying the illness despite the devastating and life-threatening implications of doing so for the men and their families. So these are the ethics. So that morals are something you have personally, Ethics are something that your organization has or your group. So ethics, these are the ethics of the U.S. government, the U.S. Navy, and whoever. I don't think the Navy is really the ones behind this. I think they're just the ones implementing it. Who is the organization? Was it the NIH? Who, who's actually behind? Now, I don't know when the NIH formed. Uh, were they around in the 1950s? Who knows? All of these other tests, while terrible, they affected people counted in the hundreds at most, he says. But when you talk about exposing millions of people to potential harm uh, by spreading around certain chemicals or biological agents, the quantitative effect of that is just unbelievable. I agree. Every one of the biological and chemical agents the Army used has been challenged by medical reports, he says, despite the Army's uh, contention in public hearings that they'd selected harmless, harmless, Harmless. That is a cool word. Harmless. Harmless simulants. So there's they're harmless. So are they simulating being harmless? Is that what they really meant to say? Of biological weapons. So you can be exposed to uh, small doses of things that are harmless, you know, but then it's all risk, uh, risk analysis, right? What's the potential risk? Nothing is harmless. Everything has some danger, right? Generally speaking, especially when you're releasing bacteria. You're, you're experimenting with biological weapons. So they're all considered pathogens now, Cole says. So perhaps at the time, these were uh, told by the experts of the day that they are totally and completely safe. They are safe, perhaps is what the doctors and the experts said of the day. And years later, we, are, we have learned that they are pathogens and they're dangerous and they can kill people. So that could have happened. Does that excuse these people from doing it? No, absolutely not. Just because a medical expert or a public health person claims something is safe, they didn't prove it was safe. So their assertions aren't based on science. If their assertions were based on science that these pathogens were safe, they would have data to back it up and they wouldn't have made those claims because they would have studied and found out, holy shit, this is not safe, right? So they were making assertions. 
And so these guys base their releasing these agents on these assertions, which are not science. They are assumptions. They are not facts. Here are some other difficult-to-believe germ warfare experiments that occurred during this dark chapter in U.S. history. Who knows that it's a dark chapter and just a, not a, just a dark continuation? These tests were documented in Cole's book and verified by Business Insider using congressional reports and archived news articles. From Minneapolis to St. Louis, there's a picture of a C-119 flying boxcar with a twin tail, the one... Uh, the, the type of plane, one type of plane used to release chemicals. So these, uh, these, uh, what do you call them? The, uh, the, the, the contrail people are going to be going crazy when they hear this. The military tested how biological or chemical weapons would spread throughout the country by spraying bacteria, as well as various chemical powders, including an especially controversial one called zinc cadmium sulfide. Low-flying airplanes would take off, sometimes near the Canadian border, of course, kill off those stupid Canucks, and they would fly down through the Midwest, dropping their payloads over cities, says Cole. So if you're living in the country, you're probably okay, other than the farm sprays. These sprays were tested on the ground, too, with machines that would release clouds from city rooftops or intersections to see how they would spread. We're not going to use gas. We're going to use freaking... Uh, biological and chemical weapons to test, right? So in his book, he cites military reports that documented various Minneapolis tests, including one where chemicals were spread through a school. They spread it through a school. The clouds were clearly visible. To prevent suspicion, the military pretended that they were testing a way to mask the whole city in order to protect it. They told city officials that the test involved efforts to measure ability to lay smoke screens about the city to hide in case of nuclear attack, according to Cole's account. So they just outward lied. They said they were releasing harmless agents to test shit that they weren't actually testing. So they barefaced lied to the public when they were releasing biological and chemical weapons to test that and not how to hide in smoke during a nuclear attack. The potential toxicity of that controversial compound zinc cadmium sulfide is debated. So maybe it isn't that dangerous. We don't know. I don't know. One component, cadmium, is highly toxic. So just because one component of something is toxic, it's all about dosage. And in chemistry, right, something can be made totally neutral depending on how it's combined with other uh, chemicals, right? So just because cadmium is in it doesn't mean it is for sure intrinsically dangerous, right? Like uh, zinc. People take zinc to fight off viruses and COVID, right? So zinc itself isn't dangerous, but you could have zinc poisoning if you take too much zinc. If you start sucking on a zinc-coated co nail, it may not be the best thing for you. And when they give vaccines, they give uh, some, they used to give lead and other toxins, to uh, activate people's um, immune system, to trigger it, to respond to the other agents they included in the vaccine to try to trigger people's uh, immune responses to respond to this thing that they were injecting in them. So they're, if, if this is toxic, then absolutely the crap they're putting in, uh, in vaccines. They're trying to find things that are toxic to inject, to, to activate people's immune systems to respond to the whatever it is the thing there is now i'm not i can't say it's a dead thing because it's not dead because especially now they're giving mrna tech it's not uh, alive or dead it's uh it's a totally different uh 
gene therapy. Anyways, um, some reports suggest the possibility that the zinc cadmium sulfide could perhaps degrade into cadmium. Okay, so now if it does degrade into cadmium, which is in batteries, that is a dangerous thing. So there are reports that suggest the possibility. So now we're getting pretty freaking weak here. So we got a double weasel word. It's it 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 doesn't it suggests the possibility. It doesn't say there is a possibility. It just suggests that there's a possibility that the zinc cadmium sulfide could perhaps holy shit. So we got a triple weasel word in this sentence. Some reports suggest a possibility that the cadmium sulfide could perhaps degrade into cadmium. But a 1997 report from the National Research Council concluded that the Army's secret tests did not expose residents of the United States and Canada to chemical chemical levels considered harmful. All right, so maybe they didn't. So maybe these guys aren't that bad, right? Even though they did lie and they shouldn't be doing this without people's permission, I understand the uh, strategic background in testing against, especially back in the day, of uh, chemical, biological, and nuclear warfare. Um, they have a uh, mandate to save people's lives, but this is uh, there's ways about doing it, right, and releasing biological and chemical uh, weapons uh, to the public isn't the way to do it. But again, these people, uh, their, their, their morals and ethics, perhaps not their individual morals, but their morals are being superseded by the ethics of the organizations that they're working for. And they are superseding uh, their, their, what they believe is good and bad as they're being told, do this, don't do that, right? Uh, can't you read the signs? <laughs> uh, anyway, so the... Uh, they say they didn't expose some uh, 1997 report concluded. So they didn't uh, suggest the possibility. They concluded that the Army secret tests did not expose. So whether they're secret or not is not really critical in terms of the safety of the people involved. But it says here they concluded that it did not expose residents to uh, harmful levels. Now, just because a study concludes something doesn't make it so like we've seen with the Lancet and New England Journal of Medicine, concluding that it's a conspiracy theory that uh, the COVID virus came from the Wuhan lab. Clearly, the virus, the Wu flu, came from the Wuhan lab. Give me a fucking break. How fucking stupid could you be? The fact that they corrupted science and tried to use uh, bullshit, the, the techniques of baffling with bullshit, and, and, and try to cash in on the reputation of science as a form of propaganda to say that it was a conspiracy theory that the virus came from the lab to protect the asses of Fauci and these other fucking scumbags who were funding gain-of-function research uh, in Wuhan. These disgusting subhuman pieces of shit, they compromised science. So now we cannot trust science. Maybe this was their goal all along is to compromise the New England Journal of Medicine, to compromise the Lancet, to compromise people's faith in public health. Perhaps that was the actual goal. I doubt it. These people are more clusterfucky and greedy and just evil. So I don't think they have that all encompassing uh, of plans. And I don't think their plan would have unfolded that well if that was their true goal. Um, so, uh, however, the same report noted that research on the chemical used 
was sparse. So they concluded that it did not expose residents to harmful levels, but they also uh, noted that there wasn't enough data, <laughs> there wasn't enough research on the chemical used. Uh, it was sparse and uh, mostly based on very limited animal studies. Now, some animal uh, studies are, you know, if they're humanized mice or some creatures, you know, but uh, we know with this uh, zoonotic uh, thing, you know, just because an animal uh, gets a, a response a certain way to a chemical or a, or a bacteria or a virus doesn't mean humans will respond the same way. Well-known science, right? So they did, which animals did they study it on? Did they study it on animals that have no correlation to humans? Apparently rats, there are some things that tra transfer over and some things not, right? So maybe the stuff was dangerous and maybe this study uh, was funded by the army or whoever the evil puppet masters were behind these biological and chemical warfare tests on the unsuspecting public. Uh the, uh, I, I don't trust these people, right? So the air tests were conducted around the country as part of Operation Large Area Coverage. Now, this sounds like something from the movie uh, Super 8, uh, Operation uh, Walking Distance, or Operation, uh, what was in, uh, did they give a name for the one in Close Encounters where they uh, gassed all the uh, cows and stuff to pretend that there was a gas leak <coughs> to keep people away from the alien landing site? I can't remember, but... Uh, this definitely jives with that. So those people who did the research for those movies, Spielberg, uh, and uh, yeah, they're actually, they're not, did Spielberg? I think it was J.J. Abrams, I think, did uh, Super 8. But he's very Spielberg-esque and influenced by Spielberg. So perhaps the research, perhaps these guys are also uh, funded by the CIA or whoever to put out movie propaganda, as this is one thing that they admitted that they did. They, uh, they didn't say specifically Spielberg or Hollywood, which, which people in Hollywood, but they did fund, uh, you know, uh, agitprop, right? Agitation propaganda and, uh, you know, try to, uh, like what's his face that writes those, uh, those, uh, submarine books. Anyways, uh, what was I talking about? Uh, Operation Large Area Coverage. <laughs> it just sounds like something in a movie, right? There was evidence that the powder, after it was released, would then locate, or then be located a day or two as far away as 1,200 miles, Cole says. There was a sense that you could really blanket the country with a similar agent. Now, they weren't using baking powder, which is uh, not baking powder, uh, it's a baby powder, which is uh, Johnson Johnson was sued, right? Because uh, the, the baby powder apparently was causing cancer. And, uh, man, I used to put that stuff on after a shower sometimes because I like the smell of it. I used to smell it and suck it up my nose and, Jesus, safe stuff, right? It's for babies. It's called baby. The word baby's in the title, so it's got to be safe. Johnson & Johnson. They, they can't be releasing stuff that's dangerous, right? Didn't it have asbestos in it? No. That stuff smells great. Smell that. Smell that asbestos. It's got um, the bouquet of asbestos. Is that Quebec asbestos? You know, I think that's uh, an asbestos from, that's an African asbestos. Anyway, so uh, city tests were conducted in St. Louis. Uh, in 2012, Lisa Martino Taylor, a sociology professor, okay, so she's probably a quack, soft sciences, at St. Louis Community College, Mara Mack, I don't know how to pronounce that, released a report theorizing that the Army's experiments could be connected to cancer rates and low-income so if they're releasing this stuff in the air over the city, how would it migrate to low-income 
mostly black neighborhoods. I call bullshit on this. So she sounds like a woke uh, social justice warrior at this point. So I'm going to bypass what that freak says. So her report, however, prompted both senators from Missouri to write uh, to the Army Secretary demanding answers. The Associated Press, a known uh, compromised group uh, with the intelligence uh, community, noted at the time. So the fact that the intelligence community are, 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 maybe they're allowing certain things to come out. I don't trust the Associated Press for shit. Well, this uh, Martino Taylor suggestion remains purely hypothetical. Oh, my God. So here we go, acting like it's science, so it's hypothetical. The human dimension, who cares? It's hypothetical. So 1966, a study of the vulnerability of subway passengers in New York City to covert attack with biological agents. So this is where they smash the light bulb full of bacteria. Uh, New York subway experiment uh, system experiments are among the most shocking in terms of the numbers of people exposed. Uh, in a field test called a study of the vulnerability of subway passengers in New York City to covert attack with biological agents. That's a mouthful. Uh, military officials tried to see how easy it would be to unleash biological weapons using a New York City subway. They would break light bulbs full of bacteria on the tracks to see how they'd spread through the city. If you get trillions of bacteria into a light bulb and throw it in the track as trains pull into the station, blah, 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 it spreads around. All right, clouds would be engulfed as people. Um... Documents say people brushed their clothing and walked on. No one was concerned. So in a 95, uh, 1995 Newsday story, reporter Dennis Dugan contacted retired Army scientist Charles Senesi, Senseni, who had testified about the experiments to a Senate subcommittee in 1975. In his testimony, he explained that one light bulb full of bacteria dropped in 114th Street spread to at least 58th Street. He declined to reveal anything to the Newsday reporter. I won't get into any of this uh, because I was told I had to by the people at the Department of Defense. I better get off the phone. So it sounds like he's scared or he just doesn't want to talk to the press because rightfully so, he does not trust some stranger that called him asking him questions that may reframe his words into something that he did not actually say. The, the interpretation of what he said might be biased and reframed to something so Right, right, so, rightfully so. He said, I better get off the phone, and he hung up. Now, I got no problem with that guy keeping his claptrap, talking to some Newsday reporter. Like, who the hell would be stupid enough to trust a reporter? So experiments continued in New York for six days using Bacillus subtilis, then known as Bacillus globigii, 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 globigii. Bacillus globigii, probably. Globigii? Probably blobigi, blo, globigii. <laughs> and uh, S. Marcesans. Marcesans. A paper from the National Academy of Sciences analyzing military experiments noted that uh, Bacillus globigii is now considered a pathogen. So again, it's now considered a pathogen, but just because something is considered a pathogen, right, depends on the dose. So these guys might have been releasing stuff and the dose, like there's bacteria everywhere. I mean, give me a break. You walk into a New York City subway washroom, you're going to be exposed to crap tons of bacteria. So don't make it seem like, oh, these guys are killing people by releasing bacteria into the sterile New York City subways. I mean, just now it's about dose. It's about how much were these guys releasing? Was it safe? 
Uh, you know, it's about, it's not black and white. We shouldn't go to extremes and just assume, well, they released bacteria, therefore it was reckless and dangerous. Uh, maybe the amount that they were releasing and the type of bacteria is in fact not dangerous. So I'm not going to jump down these guys' throats saying that what they did was absolutely uh, horrific. It may not have been. And and they're not even claiming that people got sick yet. Maybe I'll continue reading. Maybe somebody did die from this ba- Bacillus globigii. Uh, just because it's a pathogen, right? So uh, what's the definition of a pathogen, you might ask? Does pathogen mean it is totally deady? Deady. Let me get the actual wordage. I don't want to... Pathogen. In biology, a pathogen is the oldest and in the oldest and broadest sense is an organism or agent that can produce disease. It can produce disease. So, I mean, it's dose. Of course, a lot of pretty much probably, I would assume any bacteria can cause a disease, right? If your immune system's compromised, right? I mean, it's, it didn't say an agent that can produce disease and a totally healthy person with a properly functioning uh, immune system. It just says it can produce a disease. Well, then what bacteria isn't a pathogen? I would like to know. Okay. So um, it's often the cause of food poisoning. Big whoop. I mean, I'll eat food in the fridge, which nobody else will eat. And uh, if it doesn't give me the squirts, hey, <laughs> figure I'm golden, right? If it's a little snotty, maybe rinse it off in the sink before you eat it, right? As long as it doesn't smell bad, right? If you eat, uh, you know, chicken that's like uh, five days old or, you know, some old bacon or something, you know, go nuts. Like I, I eat, how old is this? Passes the sniff test, it's good, right? So if you get, food poisoning to me is not a major, <laughs> major thing. Maybe that's the stuff that's growing in there. Bacillus globigii. I, I'm starting to like that word now. Globigii. Globigii ate. <laughs> right? Globigii. Globigii? Uh, blow, globigii. I'm going to do the G because it's got the hard G at the beginning. Globigii. So uh, these affections are rarely known to be fatal, the report said. Though fatal cases have occurred. Well, fa- again, when you, when you talk about absolutes, people have died from sun exposure. People have died from drinking too much water, right? Particularly controversial tests. So now we're getting into particularly controversial tests. Uh, U.S. Navy vessel Norfolk Supply Center, the uh, location of a particularly controversial experiment. Another controversial experiment described in his book involved the test of the Norfolk Navy Supply Center. The experiments packed crates with fungal spores to see how they would affect people unpacking those crates. Again, funguses aren't intrinsically bad. Funguses are everywhere. Uh, mushrooms are funguses. Uh, funguses may be responsible for uh, uh, consciousness, right? We don't know. <clears throat> so just because it's a fungus, a spore, doesn't mean it is intrinsically deadly. So they wanted to see how this would affect uh, people unpacking those crates. Cole's book notes that portions of a report about an army test in 1951 involving Aspergillus fumigatus, fumigatus, uh, maybe it's fumigatus, fumigatus. I don't know how Latin this is, right? Fumigatus, fumigatus, probably fumigatus, maybe Aspergillus fumigatus indicate that the army intentionally exposed a disproportionate number of black people. So here we go. Now we're getting this, this wokeness again. Why was it a disproportionate number of black people to the organism? Did it happen to be intentionally 
targeting black people or was it that happened to be released on the docks and these guys had all the jobs? I don't know. Most of the employee most of the employees at the supply center were black. So again, was it intentionally targeting black workers or just happened to be targeting the dock who happened to have mostly black? I don't know. Uh, why would they target uh, mostly black dock workers? I don't know. In the military uh, reports, and, and if they are, that means they're doing this research to protect black people, right? They're testing on these people to protect them, right? So if they're testing these on black people, that means they're testing it on black people to protect black people, right? That, that's the logic of what they're saying. If they're testing it on black people to protect white people, and if there's no difference between black people and white people, then it doesn't matter. They're not intentionally targeting black people. It just happened to be black people working on the docks, right? And again, there's no implication that this would be dangerous or deadly in any way. It's just a fungus, right? Releasing mushrooms. All right, giving them. I love mushrooms, right? So in the, in the military reports cited by Cole, researchers claim they are preparing for an attack that might target black citizens. So somebody might target black citizens. So if I am an invading army, if I am Russia or China, I'm going to target the black citizens of the United States because that makes any fucking sense. Zero sense, right? He quotes from a selection that reads, since Negroes are more susceptible to cockadioides, Coccidioides imidis. Coccidioides what? Coccidioides imidis. Coccidioides Coccidioides All right, I'll say that. Coccidioides. Jesus. All right, so uh, try this again. Since Negroes are more susceptible to coccidioides than are whites. Coccidioides. A fungus called coccidioides. Coccidioides. This fungus disease was simulated. Uh, when these experiments are first revealed in 1980, the racial aspect of these tests uh, engendered controversy. So it's okay if you test them on everybody. But if you target black people, that's that's more dangerous. So, I mean, these tests, it's equally bad that they're doing this on anybody. It doesn't matter who they're targeting. If they're, if they're, if they're hitting people, all citizens, any citizen, it's bad. It's equally bad. <laughs> right? It's bad. Right? When these experiments were first revealed, okay, yeah, um, controversy. So tests revealed an unexpected source. The uh, U.S. Army activity in the U.S. biological warfare programs unclassified in 1977. Many of these experiments in the uh, American public were first investigated by what we'd consider questionable sources. Oh, yeah. So the uh, who were they? The, uh, the, the Tom Cruises of the world, right? A, a one 1979 Washington Post news story discussed open-air experiments in the Tampa Bay area involving the release of pertussis or whooping cough in 1955 state records show that whooping cough cases in florida spiked from 339 and one death in 1954 to just over a uh, thousand and 12 deaths in 1955 so three times uh, more cases and 12 times more deaths well that's uh, pretty significant be interesting to know what the trend was though going back 10 20 years before that 
one year is not a, a big enough data set really to make a conclusion. And the fact that this guy isn't going back kind of implies to me that maybe the data might be like 10 or 11 per year uh, going back. So it just it makes it, it's, I'm really suspicious of how they're presenting the data here. But it's hard to trace how accurate the information about the whooping cough case is. The only documentation goes back to an investigation by Tom Cruise, the Church of Scientology. Interesting that the Church of Scientology are the only, the only source of documentation. The Church of Scientology formed a group called the American Citizens for Honesty in Government that spent a significant amount of time investigating controversial experiments run by the Army and the CIA. Rightfully so. And the, uh, so maybe that's why the Church of Scientology are being demonized, because they are actually investigating the Army and the CIA. Hold the phone. Maybe uh, Tom Cruise and uh, what's his face? John Travolta aren't crazy uh, nut jobs. Yeah, they probably are. But according to the Post, although FOIA, Freedom of Information, uh, requests, they uncovered a number of documents related to the experiments in the late 1970s. Cole understands why some people are skeptical of these reports because the Church of Scientology are kind of kooks, right? I'm certainly not a member, and I uh, think a lot of what they do is quackery, he says. But in this case, I have no reason to believe any of this is not real. So this is a, a new dimension. Perhaps the Church of Scientology aren't... Uh, maybe there's a uh, CIA campaign against them. Maybe that chick from uh, King of Queens is actually a CIA asset trying to defame the Church of Scientology. I don't know. Perhaps. I am not a member. Uh, Tom Cruise is, uh, I don't know. I better stop talking about him. <laughs> He'll sue me. Right? Perhaps the hardest question is how much information is still missing. As Cole writes in his book, uh, many details about the Army's tests over populated areas remain secret. So understandably, I mean, if they're testing biological and chemical weapons and seeing the dispersion and how you to do it most effectively, that is something I agree should be kept secret as I don't think the public has a need to know how to disperse biological and chemical weapons the most efficient way over populated areas. So this is something I agree should remain secret. Most of the test reports are still classified and cannot be or cannot be located. Although a few of the earlier ones have become available in response to freedom of information, um, conjunction with the Nevin case, blah, blah, blah. Is this tomorrow America under communism? Well, it pretty much is, isn't it? Because the commies are taking over. Military officials have called, uh, been t called to testify. Uh, Jesus. Military officials were called to testify before Congress in 1977 after information about these biological warfare uh, experiments was revealed. At the time, those officials said that determining just how vulnerable the U.S. was to biological attack required extensive research. Well, they're using the scientific method, right? And developed a development to determine precisely our vulnerabilities uh, and efficacy of our protective measures and the tactical and strategic capability of various delivery systems and agents. I agree. According to a record of that testimony quoted in Clouds of Secrecy, this guy's book. So this guy is, I'm 50-50 uh, here. Actually, I'm probably a little more leaning in defense of the military on this one. Uh, Cole, too, says that it's hard to see these events now from the perspective of the people uh, the people had then. There was a different mindset in the country then, a Cold War mentality. It doesn't justify not using scientific methods or using assertions instead of science. 
We've known uh, how to be critical thinkers for thousands of years, right? But he argues that doesn't uh, justify glossing over the already known potential danger of the agents used. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they weren't glossing it over, right? Maybe these uh, aren't as deadly or as dangerous as you are implying. At the same time, part of what the military knows about uh, how clouds of chemicals spread comes from these experiments. Now, they could have used particulate uh, that has been studied and it perhaps is the same size, um, but there are other factors in how things spread, like the charge of a particle. And that if the, the charge of a particle gets down to the you know, the, 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 the chemical structure of it, right? So you can't just use a, a sift, a sieve, and say, well, this particle is the same size as that particle, so we release it into the air, it'll behave the same. That's not, it's not true. There is, uh, charge is, is a factor, right? So uh, the, in density, and there's a lot of other factors. So I could kind of see why they would do that, but then, you know, anyways, it's uh, it was a judgment call. At the same time, part of what the military knows about how clouds of chemical spread comes from these experiments. Cole says that knowledge gleaned from these biological warfare testing programs helped uh, uh, helped inform the U.S. reaction when reports came on the potential use of chemical weapons in the false the first Gulf War. Well, didn't we study this shit in World War One, right? With all the chemicals they were using, chemical warfare, and we know how they spread. I mean, they're implying that there was no studies. Maybe there wasn't. I'm I'm amazed that there wouldn't have been studies in the 1920s, you know, with the, the peak of science with Einstein and all these guys that they that we wouldn't have studied. Um, granted, that was after World War One, but still, at that point, you think we would have been studying this stuff, right? Uh, Cole says that the obvious question that's on people's minds. So now he's telling us what's on our minds is what's happening now. Okay, as as a valid point, what is happening now? After all, if secret tests occurred then, well, just because something is a secret test doesn't mean it's bad. Uh, what prevents them from continuing? Are they, in fact, still going on? He thinks it's likely. No, he doesn't think that it's likely. I disagree. I think it is likely. I would uh, never swear on your life or my life that nothing illegitimate is happening. Well, now, there's a difference between secret and illegitimate. The implication that is that there's a secret test means it's illegitimate. A secret test does not mean that it's illegitimate. A secret test could be very well legitimate. Based on what I do know, I don't have any sense that there is illicit activity now that would involve risking exposure to tons of people. Well, just because tons of people are exposed to something doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. We are exposed to air. We're exposed to water. We're exposed to bacteria naturally. We're exposed to fungus. We're exposed to viruses. We're exposed to radiation. We're exposed to all different kinds of things. Exposure doesn't necessarily mean a dangerous thing, right? It's all about judgment. It's about not... Not... Uh, why does that keep clicking? Not uh, falling for Frankenstein, the fear of Frankenstein's monster, the irrational fear, right? Uh, biological agents are still studied and tested, but informed consent is more widely appreciated now. There's also less of a Cold War mentality that would be used to justify this research. Now, this was written in 2016. There is a much bigger uh, fear being pushed still today with the whole COVID uh Biological warfare concept. Now, they don't, they really downplayed the whole concept of biological warfare. But since it came from a lab in Wuhan, uh, I think Fauci knew it wasn't biological warfare because he was probably one of the guys that was involved in the, uh, in the 
unintentional release. I'll give the the but it could have been intentionally released uh, for you know releasing deadly vaccines to try to thin out the population. I don't know. Um, but in 2001, the New York Times report revealed projects testing biological weapons that began under Clinton uh, and continued under the second Bush administration. A 72 treaty theoretically prohibited developing biological weapons, but this program justified it with the argument that new weapons needed to be studied in order to develop adequate defenses. Well, this is the whole thing with the gain of function, right? Uh, uh, Obama told Fauci to hit the bricks, stop uh, working on this gain of function research where you're making deadly viruses to target fucking humans, right? To amplify their effects on humans. So, uh, he, uh, he, he scrammed a little bit and, uh, went to, uh, went dark, I think, and, and went to, um, and indirectly through, a, a, a arm's length organization or whatever, uh, funded, uh, research in the Wuhan lab, which is totally insane now to give China a <laughs> fucking idiot. Holy cow. Anyways, after the uh, 2001 anthrax attacks, which were from Fort Detrick, uh, government released, uh, funding for bioterrorism research spiked by $1.5 billion. So that's all you got to do then is if you're uh, spooks, is uh, release uh, anthrax from your lab in, in Fort Detrick, uh, targeting um, senators, uh, and uh, you get uh, $1.5 billion more in uh, funding. Then in 2004, Congress approved another $5.6 billion bioterror research. So is it because they said, hey, man, if you don't give us more money, we're just going to give you more fucking anthrax? Is that what's going on here? Like these fucking scumbags? I don't know. So these projects are meant to protect society from the danger of biological agents. Are they? Or are they designed to try to make effective biological weapons uh, that can be used to target the populations and thin out the population so the ruling elite will have more elbow room. I don't know. Uh, he says they have an unintended consequence. Again, with this bullshit of unintended consequences. How do we know what their intentions truly are? I don't trust any of these fuckers. Thousands and thousands of people became familiar with pathogens before blah, blah, blah. It only takes one person. Okay. So that's all I have to say about that subject. Let's see uh, what this this guy has to say. Uh, Yuval Noah Harari. So this uh, Yuval Harari is the uh, World Economic Forum advisor. And he said, well, I'm not going to tell you what he said. Let's hear what he said. Um, we just don't need the vast majority of the population. Because? Because uh, the, the future is about developing more and more sophisticated technology. We don't need... Let me, let me have him repeat that. We just don't need the vast majority of the population. Because? We don't need the vast majority of the population. World Economic Forum advisor is saying in a TED Talk that we don't need the vast majority of the population. And I'll give you more context so you don't say, oh, out of context. Because uh, the, the future is about developing more and more sophisticated technology like, again, artificial intelligence, bioengineering, most people don't... He's saying because we're going to advance technology. That's why we don't need them. 
He's not, he's not defending that we don't need them. He's saying we don't need them. Contribute anything to that except perhaps for their data. Need the vast majority of the population. Because? Because uh, the, the future is about developing more and more sophisticated technology, like, again, artificial intelligence, bioengineering. Most people don't contribute anything to that except perhaps for their data. You don't contribute anything outside of your data. So if you don't have a, uh, a Facebook account, you're useless. And whatever people are still doing, which is useful, these technologies increasingly will make redundant and will make it possible to, to replace the, the people. I mean, that's obviously, you know, there's a lot of debate um, about this. Some people feel that actually technologies, including artificial intelligence, will empower people simply to do more more interesting work. Mm -hmm. I mean, clearly technology can empower. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, a radio. So globalists argue that uh, we don't need the people. The same guy also argued that, uh, I don't know if I could find it. He also argued that uh, human rights, you could find it. I don't need to show you. He argued the same Yuval Noah Harari, I'm assuming is an Israeli, he argued that human rights are an illusion. There's no such thing as human rights. If you cut somebody open and look at their guts, there's no human rights inside them. That's what he said, <laughs> right? So World Economic Forum advisor says there is no such thing as human rights. And he also says, We just don't need the vast majority of the population. And the World Economic Forum is very scared of overpopulation. They believe population control is drastically required. And there's two methods of controlling population growth. One is by decreasing birth rate and the other one is increasing death rate. Now, interestingly, in a totally different story, uh, data is showing that we have an increased death rate since the release of the COVID vaccines. The all-cause mortality in all Western countries that partook in the vaccine, all countries got the virus, but the countries that took the vaccine are the ones with the increased all-cause mortality. It's interesting to see the poorest of countries that didn't get the vaccine, they couldn't afford it, the poor souls. They do not have an increased all-cause mortality, despite their being exposed and getting the virus with no vaccine. Oh, my God. Explain that one. What does your little brains, how can you connect the dots with that one? Right, so... Of course, this uh, the journal from Israel debunked uh, Breitbart's coverage of this guy saying that we don't need all the humans. Uh, he spills the beans. We just don't need the vast majority of the population. It's debunked. Debunked. Big words. Debunked. A quote by him will replace his missing context. So what, how do they say it's missing context? The full interview... Uh, it's clear that Harari is actually expressing his opinion 
on the state of the world. So how is that debunking it? His opinion is we don't need this vast majority of the people. So they're saying it's not a fact, it's just his opinion. That's not debunking him saying it and the context that he's saying it. Uh, rather than something that he wants to see come to pass. So it doesn't matter if he wants to see it or not wants to see it. Now you're, you're debunking something that people aren't even saying. The fact is this guy's belief is that we do not need this number of people, whether that is a fact or not. We may, we may not. doesn't matter. This guy is uh, a, a counsel to the World Economic Forum. He's an advisor. And it, it, it's quite interesting to see that that's the angle that they take. So they're debunking, they're debunking and saying that <laughs> it's his opinion that there's, we don't need these people. So nobody's saying that's not his opinion, right? Nobody's saying it's a fact, right? He's saying it's a fact. It's his opinion. So anyways, um, so this guy also gives uh, the World Economic Forum website here. He gives a blistering warning to Davos. So here we go, more of his crap, right? He's saying there's three, three existential threats in this century. Uh, in 2020, he, he warned this, right? It's interesting, he kept out uh, pandemic or, or vaccine. So they're going to keep quiet things that they're actually uh, may use to thin out the population. He says, uh, data, data, right? So uh, nuclear war, environmental, maybe they're including biological warfare as part of the environmental. I wouldn't think so. The natural interpretation of environmental would imply, you know, some doomsday thing where maybe they're including overpopulation as part of that environmental thing, right? Or uh, data. Big data is going to kill us off, right? Artificial intelligence. I could see that, right? Artificial intelligence used. All these things might be tools used uh, by these globalists. So when these guys give warnings, they may not actually be warnings. They may actually be plans of how to kill off the people. <laughs>